Most of the time on this podcast, we are talking about techniques and specific exercises to help rebuild your body. But oftentimes, rebuilding yourself is a little bit more than healthy. Today, we're going to be talking about rebuilding your mindset and what that looks like and how that will help in rebuilding your body. Um, Bobby has a couple great examples. We have some stories to tell you. Um, but first of all, welcome to the Anatomy of Therapy. I'm Dr. John Zabolski here with Bobby Riley. Hey, Bobby, man, how are you doing this week? You're festive back there. What's going on? Yeah, it's uh, Christmas and uh, birthday parties for the little ones. So his look, first uh, birthday party. Yeah, first birthday for the little one. Yeah, it's Amazing. awesome. <laughs> well, okay, so rebuilding your mindset. I mean, I know that, look, there are a lot of techniques. There are a lot of great stretches. There are a lot of wonderful exercises. All of them are on our page. Go like it. Go share it. But rebuilding yourself is not all about, like, the physical act of it. I do think, and Bobby brought this up. He texted me earlier this week about rebuilding your mindset and what that kind of looks like. So what kind of sparked this, this topic today? Well, just one of the many articles that just come across our, so to speak, desk, you know, in a sense where we, the people that we follow on other social, on our social medias, whether it's Twitter or Instagram or just perusing PubMed or these kind of things. But it was one of the classic, I think it was a 2016 study just talking about, you know, the, the psychosocial factors around injured people. This was particularly athletes and how, how the way that they think, the way that they feel things and the, the behaviors that they choose to do day in and day out are basically commensurate with the outcomes that they are, uh, end up having. In, in other words, hold on, hold on. Yeah. What do you mean? In, in other words, if their mindset is in the right place and their behaviors are, are, are following in line with like a positive mindset and they, they believe they can get better, their actions are working on getting better they tend to get better, right? Like, are, are you saying that there are the, uh, if there are mindsets that will be helpful, there are mindsets that are perhaps hurtful? Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the opposite so, side of the, the coin is yeah. you don't believe you're really getting better. So your emotion mm -hmm. is like depressed. Your cognition is, I don't think this is going to work. And your behaviors fall in line with those other two things where the, the, the effort and your, the behavior you put towards whatever it is like recovery or listening to your doctor or whatever it is probably falls, uh, off as well. Therefore yeah. it doesn't have great, it doesn't yield great results. I, I think this is actually important before we get into like the positive side of how to actually rebuild it. Like what that type of person is and maybe why, like, I think sometimes there are good reasons for the mental state that people are in. Like, I don't necessarily, uh, let me just, what I'm trying to say is that I think a lot of the doctors that they've interacted with previously may have, or trainers or YouTube personalities or whatever may have instilled some, I don't wanna say dangerous mindsets, but um, mental structures about their injury that are not beneficial for them. And I hear patients come into me and say certain things. And I'm like, where did you hear that? Like, that's not even how this kind of thing works. And so if you, A, if you're a doctor, you're a trainer, you're someone that does have influence over uh, the way your client looks at exercise and thinks about exercise, I imagine you explain the process. I think it's important to be careful the way that we structure these things. Um, do you know what, does that make sense? No, a hundred percent. This is why 
everybody in our field or people that are related, you know, related career, you know, um, what do I say? Occupations in our field. So there's trainers or chiros or PTs or doctors or orthos or whatever, you know, it's, it's, it, yeah. Where do you think these people come in with their mindset from? I mean, sure. Some of them have a bad situation at home and it's going to be whatever it is. It's really hard for them to get out of that mindset. It's not really the doctor's fault, but most of them, they cut their story comes in because somebody told them something. And that's why, you know, the, let me take your x-ray on the first visit Cairo and goes through and tells you everything that's wrong with you on your x-ray is kind of a terrible idea. And the medical doctor who says, well, you, you don't have enough meniscus here. So you need to stop running. There's like those people. There's just this, they're just constantly telling people what's wrong with them and how they're fragile and then telling them to stop doing X. Not, there's, there's like, they're not even offering an alternative solution, which is kind of depressing. So yeah, we have to kind of take onus of this a little bit and take responsibility for the fact that we are responsible. And I'm talking about the field responsible for the fact that people's mindsets are not in a good state for recovery often because they feel broken. They feel like something's wrong. I'm constantly telling my patients like, okay, looks like you have a disc herniation in Icelandic. <laughs> okay. Uh, looks like you have a disc herniation, but just so you know, you're over 35, which means 50% of people over 35 will have a disc herniation. So I'm not trying to downplay your injury. I'm trying to say, Hey, there's a good chance that you can be completely pain-free with this disc injury. Right. You know what I mean? You need to, you need to give them empower at the same time. You don't disregard them either. That's kind of the opposite side of the coin. Like, right. listen, everybody has a disc injury. Just it's fine. Then they kind of feel like you don't hear them. It's kind of somewhere in the middle between dismissive and like scare tactics. <laughs> you see what I mean? It's in the middle. Sure. And that's where the truth, I think, lies. It says, Absolutely. hey, yeah, this sucks. And actually, if you don't change anything, your future might suck. But you you hold the power to change the course of the direction of your low back. You're not someone with a low back, bad low back. You have a low back current, a bad low back currently. Correct. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, dude, I heard a, the definition of trauma. Trauma is just a problem that you encounter that you don't understand. And so a lot of times people are in pain and they go to somebody for help. And not only do they not give them a better understanding about what is kind of going on in their body, they don't say, hey, your body's trying to reorganize. It can't reorganize itself. Health is a process. It's not a static thing. We have to unfreeze this word and we need to start moving in the right direction. So let's start moving in the right direction. You've been told you've got a slip disc and you're a herniated disc and you've been told you got a high hip and a short leg and you don't, maybe this information is not helpful. If we're going to start rebuilding our mindset, like what does that actually look like? Yeah. At first it's probably starts in the, in the room with a conversation, you know, to empower the patient in a sense of saying yeah. like, like almost almost no matter how bad it is, uh, things can be improved. I mean, I know sure. people with total hip replacements that still went back to compete in powerlifting. So, I mean, like, I know the ortho didn't tell them that that's okay, but they just, they still made it happen. And it doesn't mean you can or whatever. Maybe you can't do ultra running after double hip replacement. I don't know, but you could sure try. But Give the point time. is, is yeah, in, on the table, you can start to get them to understand that like, 
you, you kind of educate them on the process of what it looks like to rehab whatever situation that they're in, right. realize that they can get out of it, talk about the realistic steps towards that progress, you know, and, and that's step one. And step two, I think, is getting an early success or an early win mm -hmm. in the patient's eyes. I like that. And often we do that with things. You can do it very fast through seems it's a bit of trickery in a way, but the idea where they can't, like, let's say they can't internally rotate their hip. They can't turn their hip in. It goes only right. five degrees and the we do a little bit out. of voodoo. Yeah. The, the foot doesn't move out. We do a little bit of voodoo. And then like 20 minutes later, it goes 30 degrees. So they, right. that's just like, that's a super small win to just say like, Hey, your hip can change. You thought you had a bad hip and now look, it already turns. Right. Then you have a longer term goal, which is like to make that hip stronger or to have it hold up at mile 10 on their run or whatever it is, but you start with small wins and let them feel what that feels like. And this is really Im more important for the chronic pain patients because they're the ones that don't believe they Correct. can get better. They think Correct. they have bad knees. They have a, a back that's not going to let them do anything anymore. Uh, but yet they still come in. So like the, there's yeah. your chance, right? They, if, if there was no hope in their mindset to rebuild the mindset, they wouldn't come in right? They wouldn't right. listen to this podcast. They wouldn't follow certain people on Instagram. The, right. None of that stuff would exist. So you, you have an opening and that's kind of your shot. Yeah, no, I, I love that idea. That idea is a really interesting one, especially when you're a younger doctor and you give things just quickly, a quick aside, like think like passive uh, modalities like foam rolling or a Theragun or just kind of some passive stretching often will give you a, a little win. Cherish those, right? I actually wrote a blog recently about how to make your stretches last. I actually came out today. If you haven't subscribed to my Substack, please subscribe. I, I wrote a blog about how to make your stretches last. That's not what this podcast is about. That's another topic. But sometimes those little passive things can give you a tiny window to let the people know there is an option. But again, that's kind of a first step. There needs to be some sort of progression, right? Okay. So the, the little tiny wins, let's, what are some other examples of like little tiny wins? I think you had a, a patient, uh, recently. What, what did that look like? Yeah. I mean, I have a few of these, but one in particular I was telling you about, are it's usually these chronic low back patients, you know, where it's, and, and again, for the biopsychosocial people, it's not always fear avoidance that they won't bend over to pick stuff up. It can be true that two, three, four years later, flexion still causes pain. And I don't think it, I personally don't think it's all central sensitization or it's, it's some neurological wiring of pain. Right. I think these things still are triggers if nothing has changed anatomically to, to, to modify that. Did you right. have something? I just really quickly, biopsychosocial, yeah. we've just brought that up for the people. There are people where this is the negative mindset where they have this fear avoidance in their head that if I bend over it's, and it's just a thought, Bob, we're, we're, we're kind of contrasting the mental idea of their pain versus the physical reality of say their body. And a lot of people do have this mental model that I cannot bend over to pick something up. And it also matches up with their physical condition that anatomically, structurally, pathologically, perhaps those two match up. Yes. You may not be able to bend over and touch your toes or Bobby's saying that you may in the future be able to bend over, touch your toes, but perhaps your mindset is blocking. I just want to make sure that I'm still carrying on with you. Correct? Yeah. And I'm hitting a little okay. bit on the biopsychosocial practitioners, the ones that, that treat 
through that mo- that method who think that the only thing is in the mind with the with the client where they say it's been three years since you hurt your back it is in your mind it's completely okay i don't think this is actually true i think sometimes it's true sometimes the person still sure. has sense of like pain that comes from a certain movement especially low back pain that right. is being triggered i don't think it's all just a neural loop sometimes it is sometimes it's not but you can kind of tell because it's almost like those malingering tests we learn in school which teaches us to find who's not really in pain and who really is it all matches up with a certain moment like like a flexion moment or something well it hurts right here when i bend or if i if i bend and i load it or i bend and i sneeze i get that same sciatica I'm like you're telling me this is purely biopsychosocial i don't right. i disagree right. so my point is with these chronic low back patients these are the ones where i have a little bit more of a softness in my heart where i'm trying to say like hey y- you can you can get out of this but it it takes it may take a quite a bit of an effort but that's where the small wins come in so like with a patient recently she kind of she's she's a little bit better than some patients where she still tries to exercise but she's completely modified all exercise to where it's pain free so she just avoids lifting anything heavy avoids any bending you know no toes to bar no sit ups no no stuff like that and i'm trying to say like hey avoiding your low back forever is probably not the answer it'll stop your pain in your sciatica from occurring this is mcgill 101 that's great but that le- that just means you have to be careful for the rest of your life now right. and i don't think a lot of people are really too jacked about that she's somebody who's wants much more than that so you what you do is you try to find what i tried to do is find something i could do to show her her back can tolerate something that she didn't believe she could do so i did these things called reverse hyperextensions basically you you're laying over a bench and a weight is pulling your leg underneath the bench and please just google reverse hyperextension if you're not sure yeah yeah, yeah. And it's basically the opposite of a back extension. So instead of you having your legs locked and you doing back extensions with your upper body, you're locking your upper body and moving your lower body. So what it does is it completely rounds her lower back and then she completely extends her lower back. So she's going full range of motion with her low back, which is the thing that she could never do. But because it's in a certain position where the core is kind of braced by the table and gravity is perpendicular to her spine, it becomes almost like traction instead of disc pressure. Mm. So she can actually load up the reverse hyperextension machine and train it and then get done and feel like her back has like a back pump, like your biceps would after a hundred bicep curls, but in a good way. And then like later go home and like bend and pick up groceries and feel like powerful in your back because you have this, you finally hit some of these muscles in your low back. And I, I'm, you know, just to really quickly clarify. Yeah. A lot of things like bird dogs, planks, even things like deadlifts and squats are typically spinal stability strength exercises. The, the spine is meant to be stiffened and then move through space. Mm-hmm. That's, that's going to strengthen maybe the iliocostalis lumborum or these really big, long muscles. But you have these ones that go from L5 to L4 and L4 to L3 and L5 to S1. And those little ones are going joint to joint and they don't move. And then you have a bunch of like fascia and, and thoracolumbar fascia and all these interconnections Thick, of, yeah. of tenderness stuff coming in and, and, and they don't move. And 
if you get that stuff to move all of a sudden they're like i've never felt my back sore like in forever or i've never felt that much pump in my back so you finally get some you know movement in there anyway the the to, to shorten <laughs> just oh, good, talking yeah. about why that exercise is so great but anyway she was able to feel that 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 she can do that exercise pain-free yeah. and kind of aggressively which is also nice you don't have yeah, to be you know fun. tiptoeing through the movement yeah right and, and and of course she's also doing some loaded carries and she's doing some modified deadlifts off of like elevated like on pins so she's getting all these things that she's avoided for two years and it, it gives a lot of power to her in the sense that her mindset is now saying like, and I told her like, it still could take you another year or two. I don't know how long it's going to take, right. but, but what you're doing now is you're building and you're in a better place than you were yesterday. And they're super stoked about it. Like, that's why I like the chronic pain ones. Cause they don't, they don't expect you to fix them by tomorrow anymore. Right. No, I love that, man. The reverse hyper is such a great, let's before the mindset thing, because one of the things you were talking about with the different positions, the bird dog, or we'd have some kneeling exercises recently that they're all just changing. It's bringing down movement to a smaller kind of subset so that you can work it in a safe range. Like Bobby figured out, I mean, a, a reverse hyper is almost like a reverse toe touch, right? An eccentric toe touch where the weight is at the toes, where the weight is at the feet, the, the lower half of the body is doing the prime moving versus the torso kind of coming down lifting. So it's the same uh, muscles we were talking about at the low back is just loaded in a reverse way that allows the patient to go, oh, I can move these things just from a different way. Perhaps I can do it back in the original way that used to get me. And so you get those little wins and the reverse hyper is great because you can load it and you could progress it. You could do more reps. You could change the speed, all these other elements that we'll talk about in future podcasts. But the big one today is getting a win. And that's why changing the position in rehab can be great. One of the other things too, is Bobby's brought it up many, many times, but getting that win and then progressing them from there as well. All of the things that Bobby mentioned, the deadlifts from the pins, I love the deadlifts from the pins um, myself. I love doing it high and then slowly bringing it lower or doing it lower and slowly bringing it higher. I'm not competing. I just want to get some good load into my back and into my hamstrings that will, the pump, the back, the low back pump feels great because you, then you feel invincible, dude. It's, it's a really, really good win. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the mindset, once they see that carry over into their real life, that I think is the big kind of transition. And that's the big win. So again, a lot of it is setting the context for your patient, giving them an idea of where they are, what they have, the resources they have to kind of move forward, and then providing with them with those wins, setting them up, putting them in a situation where they can be successful. Um, I love it, man. Let's just kind of keep this one brief. Anything else you want to get before we kind of walk out of here? Not really. I mean, it's, it's weird. I, we I could just, it. we could ramble, but to be succinct, no. succinct. Yeah. I mean, I would love to get, do you have any examples of this? I, I would just love to give maybe the audience one more example of how, yeah, absolutely. I mean, maybe a different body part. Like, I, I guess I, you know, I, I've been seeing a lot of these football, uh, so, sorry, soccer players a lot over here lately yeah. with, and basketball players with groin strains. Sure. And uh, they're all just, they all tell me, yeah, but I can do the Copenhagen plank. And I'm like, yeah, but the Copenhagen plank, are you doing it statically? And they're like, yeah, right. I'm like, well, that's a static. That means you're strong in that position maybe without perturbation what if i come real quick and like push the top of your hip really fast well you might pull your groin right there so like getting them to like realize okay you're only strong there maybe 
without perturbations or without like a quick right. movement. So you at least so, need to be yeah. able to do a dynamic uh, Copenhagen plank where you actually drop your lower leg down towards the floor, your lower hip, and then pull yourself back up. And then can you do it really fast or do you have to be very careful and go slow? Otherwise you feel like you're going to pull it. All these things are signs. So like my point with this, with I've been seeing these patients with these groin yeah. strains was saying, yeah, you just don't have a strong enough groin and you don't have a strong enough groin in all planes, three dimensional planes. Right. Um, and, and I know there's maybe some PRI type of listeners or DNS listeners. Yeah. Okay. I know that they can overload their groin because of position. Right. Still doesn't mean that it's strong. So we can get them all repositioned great and they can still pull that thing because they have no, they don't have, they don't have any ability to express like power speed through that, you know, adductor group right. uh, in, in a sport doesn't e even if they're repositioned. So, so yeah. that's just a nerdy, just to the nerds that know what I'm talking about there. No, for sure. But otherwise we still have to make stuff stronger. And when that stuff gets stronger and more dynamic, uh, it can overcome tons of poor positions and compensations. So like we could just in some ways, and for our listeners and a lot of our people on Instagram, we can't go in there and figure out that their, their right leaflet is off and their, you know, their posterior mediastinum won't expand perfectly. Right, right, I, that's right. the stuff we love to do. John and I love to do, but if we can't, you know, if we're doing virtual consults, for example, it's like you make stuff stronger you don't always have to have them perfectly positioned. I know Usain Bolt has like a crazy long leg length discrepancy and something else is wrong with him. Like he's got fat feet. Over pronation. Yeah, over pronation yeah. and all this stuff. Well, wow. poor nine, guy. 956 or whatever it is. So, right. Um, he made it work. No, yeah. I, I, I just, if I could say what you just said in my own way, when you train, if you were just to, um, take your uh, notes, your exam notes um, from the patient. Most of the time, uh, people do passive mobility. It falls under the passive mobility bucket. And that is used widely, widely, widely. Sometimes uh, if you go to do the exercises on our Instagram, a lot of those are active mobility, which also look a little bit like strengthening and moving, right? So the one thing that Bobby's saying about the groins and soccer players uh, is that just because you can do a Copenhagen just means that you can do a Copenhagen. It doesn't necessarily mean that you can defend eccentrically and change directions uh, while you're defending a corner kick on the pitch. Right. And so that's one of the things, and uh, we'll get him on soon. Uh, Dr. Zach Kogan, who trains with the DC United does a lot of kind of active rehab with his patients. That is, looks a little bit more like play. And so and there are ways we'll talk about that as well. But a lot of the exercise, if you could, you could do an eccentric exercise, you can do a concentric exercise, you could do an isometric exercise, and you could do those within particular planes. So you could do an eccentric in the sagittal. I just posted a thing on the stories today about how I like to do my hamstrings. Most of those movements with my hamstrings are in the sagittal plane. Do your hamstrings work in the transverse and in the frontal plane? These are also things that we need to consider, right? So just because you've hit an isometric or concentric thing, don't neglect moving it through multiple planes of motion. I do think we need to start with the simple thing, little wins before you bring them up to the more complicated rehab exercises such that look, if I used to do this when I was a younger clinician, but I knew all these crazy exercises and I was like, this is exactly what they need. And it's 14 steps. And mechanically I wasn't wrong. 
but it was not setting up my patients to succeed. Right. Or for, or for an early win or for an early win. This was right. a late win. This would yeah. kind of lock in and multi-integrate the advanced left gate on the early transition through mid state. Yeah, they need to trust but, you for the next six months to get that yeah, first exactly. win. Yeah. It's about the long game. Look, I, I was selfish and actually trying to show off. It really wasn't good for the patient. It was good to show how smart I was. That's young, John. Let's do some simple things, get little wins. And even then in the long term, some of those things, like if you get your patient to do hill sprints in the end, right? And they can do hill sprints safely, that will also be a little win at that time, right? Looking back on the whole progress of the rehab, perhaps it's a big win if you consider it from the beginning to the end. But if you could just look for little wins and look, it doesn't have to be specific. You don't have to find, get us to tell you exactly what a little win is. If you can go out there and get those little wins yourself, you can build on that and build on that and build on that. And I think you can develop a healthy body that way. Yeah. My, my last, yeah, I agree. Uh, but my last little thing for the clinicians or trainers would be truly develop something I would highly recommend is truly develop a set of tests that you personally want to use mm-hmm. uh, with your clients or patients to be able to quickly tell, to show them and yourself where they're lacking. And I don't, so I'm not talking about a bunch of clinical tests, actually. I'm talking about like, here's a single leg bridge here and you do it on the right and the left. Mm -hmm. And then you can watch them and they can give you feedback and you can immediately notice, oh, they're lacking hip extension on their hip extension or hip extension strength on one Mm -hmm. side. Right. Then what do you do? You train that. (laughs) So, you know, this is, and and then more equipment, this is why equipment does kind of matter. Sometimes if you have access to a gym, a trainer can do a lot more stuff than some of uh, we can in our clinic where they can say, take somebody who's an athlete and say, okay, let me see you do uh, a 200 pound good morning. And they're like, no, 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 that's going to break my back. I'm just going to fall on my face. And then you say, well, I can do it with 275 and I'm an old man. Like what's wrong with you? Uh, you know what I mean? You can immediately say, okay, maybe their back's not strong enough to wrestle right now. Right. Like get their back stronger. Like, you know what I mean? So there's, you can come up with, they don't have to be these like, okay, there's, he doesn't only have enough internal rotation on both hips. It can just right. be, you know, strength, uh, or side to side comparisons, just yeah. you pick up, pick up whatever you want, you know, mm-hmm. you use whatever machine you like, use whatever tool you want, a band around the hips, compare stuff side to side. And you'd be surprised that most pain comes with some kind of fault on one side right? or, or a weakness or an inability to do something or an intolerance to a position. And, and now you're off. Now you have some answers. And so for the client listening or the patient listening too. Uh, it's the same thing you can do is if you're quite, we've been talking about this for, I don't know, half a year. If you're aware of your body and instead of saying, Oh, I'm good at bench press. I just going to bench press all the time. Go and actually say, what do I actually, what do I actually suck at? Oh yeah. I pulled my hamstring all the time when I was in college. Uh, my back kind of hurts all the time. Maybe I should strengthen my hamstrings and do a bunch of back stuff for the next year and just see what happens. Could be interesting to try it out. Um, one of my favorite tests, just, you know, there, you can pick whatever you want. I love doing and seeing how long a, I can hold kettlebells. My, my farmer's walk suitcase carries for time. That tells me how strong I am. And I do a broad jump standing two feet and see how far you can jump. Just two things that I like to do from time to time. You can do whatever you want. Um, how long can you hold kettlebells? How far can you jump? I can tell if I'm not feeling too hot, 
I can't hold the kettlebells very long and I don't jump very far. But if I'm feeling good, those tests do well and I usually have a great workout. Um, but yeah, what do you guys think? Uh, what are the little wins uh, that you use with your clients, with your patients? Um, comment below. <sighs> Thank you all for listening. Have a great yeah. week. Thank you very much. See ya. <laughs>